Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Good morning, Hill City. Let's pray together as we begin this morning. Lord God, thank you for allowing us to be in this place today to worship together, to sing praises, to pray, to recite things that help us reflect on who you are the place that we hold, falling short of your glory, yet being redeemed through the wonderful work of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We are so thankful for that truth this morning. May we hold it dear, may we hold it close, and may we reflect on it continually, not only this morning, but the rest of our days. Lord God, we love you, and we are so thankful for you. And it is in your son Jesus' name that we pray this morning. Amen. You can have a seat, Hill City, and good morning. I said, good morning. There we go. Now we're awake a little bit. Well, hey, for those of you who have not gotten the opportunity to meet me yet, my name is Jarrell Jackson. I have the honor and privilege to be the worship director here on staff at Hill City. And my role is to oversee all of the music and production that happens in all of our gatherings. And I also get to participate in those as well. And it's been such a blessing to be able to fulfill that role. I've been in it for about two years now. And every time I get to be here, I'm just elated and excited, and it's awesome. Um, A quick shameless ministry plug here. Uh, If you are interested in serving in this ministry, um, just come see me. You can see Bailey or Tyler um, as well. Uh, We are all a resource who would love to help you get plugged in. If you are interested in doing so, we've got a process that will put you through, and it'll be awesome. It'll be great. All right, so a few weeks ago, Brad approached me early on a Sunday morning. It was probably 6.45 in the morning, so, you know, I'm... Coming to here, probably yawning still, right? And he goes, hey, this summer I want you to teach on worship. Are you good with that? And I was like, uh, not really. Oh, come on, y'all. It's a joke. I'm kidding. We can laugh a little bit. We can have some fun, right? Of course I was excited. I'm so excited to talk about worship this morning, which is what we'll be talking about, of course. And there might be some people in here who have heard me speak on this before. Is anybody who goes to Lyco in here this morning? Can Lyco give me a wave? Anybody? I see a few people. Yeah. So Lyco, I got to talk about worship to them. That's our youth ministry a few months ago, maybe a month ago or so. So Lyco people, some of this stuff may sound a little familiar to you. We'll get a lot more in-depth this morning than we did when we last talked about it. So we're going to pray a lot today. Before we get started, I want everybody in here to just bow their head. And for a moment, let's take a time to just center ourselves. So individually in the room right now, would you ask the Lord to open up your heart and your mind to whatever he has for you, that you would be open to receiving it this morning. Let's take time to pray. And while you're praying this morning, would you also pray for me that I may communicate what the Holy Spirit is calling me to communicate in this time and that I would not get in the way, but he would shine through. Lord God, would you bless our time? Would you bless our minds and our hearts to be able to receive what you have for us? And would this time be beneficial to our growth and our drawing nearer to you? Father, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So, our primary passage that we're going to come out is Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14 today. 
But before we get to that story, there's a bit of backstory we have to talk about before we can just dive into what worship is and what it means and all those things. And that takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, where we meet a man named Abram. So Abram, at this point in the story, has been called by God to go to another land. And then God calling him to do so, he gave him a promise along the way. He said, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram gets his wife Sarai and a whole tribe of people, and they start traveling. They go to where God is calling Abram to, which is fitting, right? Like you got to bring your squad, your people with you if the Lord is calling you to a journey. You know, you got to have that support system. While he's traveling, he gets into some weird things. And by weird things, I mean something we all struggle from. It's sin. Sin ravages us. It ravaged Abram as well. They get to Egypt, and when they get there, Abram thinks, oh, man, my wife is wonderful. Pharaoh and his men are going to try to kill me to take her from me. So let's not tell them that you're my wife, Sarai. Let's tell them that you are my sister. Wives in the room, would y'all appreciate if y'all husband did that, if y'all went somewhere? That's kind of messed up, right? Right? That was kind of messed up a little bit? He actually winds up doing this twice. But what happens both times is they do so. He tells whoever's leading the land that they're in, hey, this isn't my wife. This is my sister. Don't kill me. And that leader takes his wife to be their wife. And then God punishes that leader for doing so, saying the man, the woman that you have taken for your wife is another man's wife. And of course, they don't know that. But God punishes them for a moment. And then they collect their senses and they return Sarai back to Abram. It's really messed up, but that happens on a couple of occasions. Then after that happens the first time, Abram gets into a big argument with his nephew, Lot, and they are arguing about land. So Abram says, you know what, Lot, cool. You, you want to argue about some land, that's fine. Pick whatever side you go to, and me and my people will go the opposite way. So they split up. Lot went this way. Abram went this way. But Lot got into a lot of trouble on this side. So Abram had to come and save Lot and kick some butt, you know what I'm saying? He saves him, he rescues him, and on the way back to his land, he gets blessed by the king of Salem, Melchizedek, who we talked about a little bit back in our Something Better sermon series last year. You can check out our website if you'd like to hear more about who Melchizedek is. But after all of that, the Lord appears to Abram in a vision and makes him a promise, to which Abram responds in complaining. The Lord is promising him a reward for what he's doing, but Abram says, Lord, I don't have a child yet, which is very important in this culture. A son was used to advance the name of the household, to keep it going for generation and generation and generation. And Abram not only didn't have a daughter, didn't have a son, didn't have any children at this point with his wife Sarai. So somebody else was currently set to rule over his household had he passed away without having a child. But God tells him, hey man, don't worry about that. Listen, the heir to your household will be your own son. In fact, I'm going to give you so many offspring. And it says specifically, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. So shall your offspring be. That's the promise that God gave to Abram amidst his doubting. A couple weeks ago, we talked about wearing the armor of God. And Brad mentioned doubt was one of those things that attacked us on a regular basis. Doubting that the Lord would come through and do what he said he was going to do. Doubting that he would deliver how he said he was going to deliver. And Abram had fallen into that sin right in that moment. But it wasn't the last time that he was going to fall into it either. Him and his wife Sarai would fall into it together. The two of them tried to speed up this process. 
They tried to take it into their own hands upon the timing of which this should happen. And so Sarai insisted on Abraham having a child with her servant, Hagar. And so he does. And they have Ishmael. Their doubts ruled over them in this time, in this moment. They were both old in age, Abram and Sarai. So I, I totally understand where their doubts could have been coming from. But instead of waiting on the Lord to fulfill his promise, they went ahead and did their own thing. Isn't that sometimes our story? Don't we fall into the same thing on an occasion? They welcomed a lot of drama into their life when they did this. Mainly because God made Abram another promise. He promised him a child with his wife, Sarai. When he did this, he changed Abram's name to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. And he came through on his promise and they had their son, Isaac. So now the story gets complicated. Because now Abram has two, Abraham has two sons. Which one is going to rule over his household? To make that easy, an easy decision, Sarah says, you know what? We're going to cast out Hagar and Ishmael. They're not welcome here anymore. The Lord said, listen, Abraham, I know that's upsetting to you, but listen to your wife. Isaac is going to be the one who carries your household. I'm going to make a nation out of Ishmael as well. So he does that. They cast out Hagar and Ishmael. The Lord provides for them and continues to provide for Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. Real quick, before we can go on, can I just get an amen if you are just thankful that the Lord comes through on his promises even when we aren't faithful to him? Amen? I mean, come on, y'all. Like, we, we fall short on the regular. We mess up on the daily. And it looks different for everybody in each one of our walks and our testimonies in our lives. But God never falls short. God never makes a mistake. He always comes through time and time and time again. And what a blessing that is. So the Lord's a provider, and he provides. And we come to chapter 22. So let's stand together for the reading of God's word this morning, if you're willing and able. We will do this a few times, so do not get upset with me for the calisthenics that are happening in this room this morning, because it's going down, all right? Chapter 22, and we start at verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. You can have a seat this morning. Hill City. Woo, all right, so now it's time. Now it's coming down to a test, right? God's saying, hey, Abraham, you've been following me. You love me, bro. I just gave you a son. Awesome. Go to a mountain and burn him and sacrifice him to me. What? <laughs> Lord, hello? <laughs> like, Abraham, but what's crazy is Abraham did it with no hesitation. The Bible doesn't say that he took his time to think about it and consulted with some of his homies who he brought along the journey with him of like, ah, should I do this? Should I listen to what I'm feeling called to do, no, no, no. Abraham knew the voice of his father. And Abraham knew what to do when his father spoke. It was time to move. Some of us in this place, we need to take after Abraham in this. If I can give a quick example, last week in our benediction, Brad mentioned an Italy trip that we've got coming up in November. 
And for some, we've been praying about it, like, Lord, do I need to do this? And the Lord has given you an answer maybe, and he's like, yes, you need to do it. But you're still kind of like, ah, I don't know. And then there's some people who the Lord didn't even wait for you to pray. He just said, hey, you listening? Get up, go. It's time to move. We've got to listen to the voice of our Father. He's never going to lead us somewhere that he will not accompany us to. Never. Abraham knew what he had to do. He had to move, whether he liked it or not. So we come upon verses 4 through 8. We'll stand one more time. Well, two more times. We'll stand again, I should say, as we read God's word, standing in reverence of his word this morning. We'll only do this one more time after this. I promise. All right, y'all knees will be okay. I know y'all quads getting sore already. It's all good. So we come to verse 4. And it says, On the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. This is the first time the word worship ever comes up in the Bible. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. You may have a seat again this morning. But listen, my boy Isaac was starting to get a little skeptical, you know what I'm saying? Isaac started asking questions. He's old enough to understand what a burnt offering is supposed to look like. And he knew they did not have everything that they needed. Something was up. Let me let y'all know what a burnt offering is supposed to look like, just in case anybody in the room doesn't know, because I sure didn't know before I started diving into this. A burnt offering, which is what was about to happen here, involves the offerer laying hand on the offered animal. A male without blemish usually was given for this type of offering. They laid their hand on it to label it as a sacrifice for their atonement, for their sins, something as a form of repayment to the Lord. And they would kill the animal, and the priest would take the animal's blood once it was drained out and throw it against the sides of the altar at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then they'd set fire to the altar and arrange the wood on it to keep that fire blazing. And they'd arrange the animal in pieces and clean up certain parts of the animal that needed to be cleaned, and then they would just burn the whole thing on the altar. Isaac, in this case, was called to be that offering, and he had no clue. So, of course, he's asking questions. Where's the lamb? I know how this works. We don't have everything that we need. But there's something, there's something to note in here, church. Though the path was unclear, though Isaac looked around and saw, we don't have all of our resources. We do not have everything that we need. Regardless of those facts, he still followed the voice of his father. He did not waver. He did not turn away and say, we don't have everything that we need. Let me go back and grab this, or oh, you're messing up. Let me do this. I can do this right. You're doing this wrong. No. He just listened to the guidance that his father was giving him. We can relate that to the Lord, right? Sometimes we don't think that we have everything that we need. We don't always think that we've got what we've got to take along with us. We think we're missing something. But isn't it true that the Lord will always provide, that he's going to come through, right? We just saw that as an example back in the 10-chapter storyline that got us to this chapter of 22 here in the book of Genesis. The Lord will come through. 
He does. He's a provider. We don't have to worry about what's going on around us or what's happening. We just need to trust in him. And Isaac trusted in his father. So we're going to stand one more time and read verses 9 to 14 to close out our reading in this chapter of chapter 22. We start at verse 9. It says, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord shall it be provided. He'll see that you can have a seat. Well, praise the Lord, am I right? Praise God. Oh, my goodness. Thank God Abraham did not have to sacrifice his son that he waited so long for, that the Lord had blessed him and his wife Sarah with. But what we need to note and remember here is he was prepared to do so. And he was almost there. He knew that all he needed to do was listen to the Lord, and that's all he had shown up on that mountain to do, and he was going to listen to the Lord until he gave him another instruction, which he did. We have two things that give us a picture in this moment of what Abraham referred to as worship, obedience and sacrifice. Obedience and sacrifice, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, church. See, worship, as we have grown to communicate it, has mainly been a descriptor of things. For some of us, it's become a style of something, whether it's a genre of music or a type of podcast or some type of book or some type of clothing brand that does this type of thing. No, it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily incorrect to mention it as these things, but we fall into speaking of it wrongly when we think that's all that it is, is a descriptor. No, it is not. We have to remember what it is at the root. And Abraham laid it out perfectly in the context of this passage, obedience and sacrifice. So let's talk about obedience. Obedience is compliance with an order, request, or a law, or submission to another's authority. And Abraham modeled this very well in chapter 22. We've seen it. We've talked about it a couple of times already. He did not hesitate when the Lord said, hey, go and offer your son to me on this mountain as a burnt offering. And look, church, I'm not a parent, but I can only imagine what kind of thoughts of the world were going through his head, what kind of thoughts of the flesh were going through his mind. Do I really have to do this? This is my only son. What, what is God calling me to do? He might have been thinking all of these things as he was taking steps and preparing everything still without hesitation to do what God called him to do. He's a human like the rest of us. He has worries. He has doubts. And I also think of Isaac, when I think of how well this was modeled, Isaac didn't have a clue what was going on. <laughs> he knew what they were called to do, and he knew what they were going to do, but he knew that they did not have everything that they needed to make this happen. 
The Bible doesn't say that Isaac rebelled as his father bound him to this altar, preparing to burn him as a sacrifice and an offering to the Lord. The Bible doesn't say that he fought his father on the way up the mountain, that he laid his hands on him, that he turned away. No, he stayed on the path of obedience. It's all over this chapter. It's all over this story. One thing to note is that it is not easy. It is not comfortable. Just like all them calisthenics we just did this morning, right? Like, we ain't want to come in here and do that. Like, no, it's not easy. It's not comfortable. But obedience is what we're called to do. And though the flesh and the mind and the thoughts may want to go against what God has called us to, we must fight to persevere and remain obedient. Remember, church, God is not going to lead you somewhere that he will not accompany you to. He is with us. His word proclaims that truth. Looking at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. We said it a couple weeks ago, the Old Testament was Jesus' Bible. Well, James is Jesus' brother, so it was James' Bible too. And I'm sure James had this story for reference, like, as well as Jesus' life, but this is something that he has a firm belief in. This isn't something that he's just saying and throwing out there. We need to be firm in this belief too, church, because it's true. We see obedience being spoken about in the book of Psalms as well. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I've chosen the way of your faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. Those who worship the Lord pursue his ways and they are obedient to him. To his will, to his ways, to the calling that he has for them. They listen to it. They follow it. That's not the only thing we need to do if we want to consider ourselves worshipers of the Lord, right? now. it's obedience and sacrifice. So let's talk about sacrifice for a moment. Sacrifice, to give up something important or value for the sake of other considerations. Now, look, I know what some of y'all might be thinking. I know we do not have to go kill any animals and toss blood everywhere. Ugh, that was, ugh. I'm glad that we don't have to do that anymore. All right? It's nasty. Not how we operate. Sacrifice is still something that we're called to, though. It just looks a lot different nowadays. Sometimes it's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we talked about giving, right? It's sacrificing our times, our talents, our treasures. I want to add a couple of more things in here. Maybe it's sacrificing our social status or our public image. Maybe sometimes it looks like what we're about to throw on the screen behind me. We've got a couple of images. There's a Hebrew word, and it's shacha. And the context of it is important because it has a few different meanings. But in this context, it means bowing oneself down in honor of an authority or deity. Falling down in worship, touching your knees to the ground and then touching your forehead to the ground. Maybe sometimes it's raising your hands. A good friend of mine out in South Carolina is a worship leader as well. And he said, when we lift our hands up in praise, it is an outward expression of our love for God and our surrender to him. There's imagery there. It's like a child lifting up their hands to their parents saying, I need you. I can't do this on my own anymore. I, I'm scared. I'm, I'm crying. I'm in, I'm in pain. Like, carry me. We can communicate that to the Lord by lifting our hands too. 
I don't know what's weird, it's like, but I mean, my body doing something like if I'm kneeling or if I'm lifting my hands, like what, what does this have to do with sacrifice? I'll tell you, and I'll tell you by telling you a story of my perspective on it. Something that happens to me on the regular that I consistently have to fight. And it's thinking, what other pe- thinking about what other people are thinking of what I am doing. There are times in worship when we're singing and we're praying and we are we are just connecting with one another and we're all connecting to the Father that I just want to kneel and the first thought that comes into my head, unfortunately, is, but if I do this, what is this person going to think? They're going to look at me weird. I don't want to be looked at weirdly. I don't want to feel uncomfortable. I don't want to make them uncomfortable. Why am I thinking these things when I'm thinking about giving everything to the Lord? I know that's what I'm called to do. Why am I hesitating? But then there's an example in the word that shows us how we are to operate in this giving up of our body to the Lord, this outward expression of worship and sacrifice and obedience. And it's from King David. There's a story in 2 Samuel that as the Ark of the Covenant returned to Jerusalem, David, who was ruler over that land, took off his royal garments Instead of wearing those to celebrate, he put on something basic and simple, just a linen ephod. Something that a real common man would have wore, somebody who was poor. And he danced in this garment before the Ark of the Covenant as it entered the city, celebrating and blessing everyone. And they had feast upon feast and peace offering and sacrifice upon sacrifice, and it was awesome. And he gets home to bless his own household, and his wife, Michal, the daughter of Saul, comes out to meet him. We pick up there in 2 Samuel 6, 20 to 22. And she says, how the king of Israel has honored himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of his servants, his female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. See, in her eyes, people who were royal did not do that. People that had that image and that status did not stoop so low. But David had the proper response. And the proper belief. And he said, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. That scripture scripture continues to say the punishment that the Lord had for David's wife, she never bore a child until the day that she died, which we just talked about how important that was in Genesis. You see, David knew how important it was to give everything to the Lord, no matter what anybody else thought. Listen, I'm not telling you to get up and start running laps in here. If you are feeling called to do that, by all means, I'm not going to stop you. The Holy Spirit is way more powerful than me, okay? But we can't be ashamed to do what we're being called to do in any given moment. We can't worry about what other people are going to think as we follow what the Lord has commanded us to do. And we'll talk more about that here in a second. But, okay, Jerome, we talked about obedience. We talked about sacrifice. Like, you're saying it's all worship. All right, cool, bro. But, like, what are we supposed to do in response? Like, how do we carry on? What's next for us after hearing all of that? Well, I'll tell you, but in order to do so, I need to go to the New Testament. We'll go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 
through 2. This is Paul speaking to the Romans. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul presents this angle of worship being a spiritual practice, which makes sense because that's how Jesus talked about it too, right? Let's go to John chapter 4, verses 19 to 23. Jesus at this point has met the woman at the well, and he just told her some things about her life that nobody should have known because she hasn't told anybody. And she says to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation comes from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Church, they're communicating worship as a lifestyle as a way of living. It's not merely an action that we do once a week on Sundays, nor is it something that is only resorted to turning on your favorite song from the genre of Christian music. No, it's not just those things. Yes, singing praises is one way to worship the Lord. Absolutely, we're called to do it, and we make sacrifices to do it. But we're called to so much more than just lifting our voices in praise to the Lord. There's going to be a list that comes up behind me on the screen. Look what else we get to do. Where I'm from, we say, let me learn you something real quick. Church, let me learn you something. We're called to love God and love others like it talks about in Matthew chapter 22. When we do this, we're being obedient to the Lord. That's only half of it, right? we got to sacrifice. What are we sacrificing? Our time our talents, our treasures, sometimes our social status, our public image, and so on and so forth. This is about to get really repetitive, okay? Building each other up. We're called to do that in 1 Corinthians. How do we do that? When we're being obedient to the Lord, we're worshiping him, right? We have to sacrifice to do it. Our time, our talents, our treasures, our social status, our public. Do you, do you get the pattern now, Hill City? Do you, do you understand? You can, you can talk back to me. Y'all get it? We following a little bit? Each one of these things is a command that we are given by the word of God. And doing them is being obedient and following. Yes. They all come with a cost. Making any decision comes with a cost, right? Obedience and sacrifice can hit close to home sometimes. Maybe this is intangible enough. What if, let's say you're pursuing someone in a relationship and you love the Lord and you want to serve him with everything that you've got. And you want this person to do the same. But maybe they are, they are not on the same page as you. So you argue and you argue and you argue until a wedge gets driven between the two of you and you've just got to split it and call it off. You've got to sacrifice that relationship to remain obedient to the Lord. Maybe it's not a relationship for you. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's a family member. Y'all get into it all the time because you love the Lord and they ain't trying to hear your Bible-thumping Jesus talk, right? And all you want to do is show them love and, and be forgiving to them and, and, and just, just, just love them as much as you can and be nice and have cool conversations and 
They ain't trying to hear all of that. A wedge gets driven between the two of you. You just got to keep trying to love them from a distance, but you got to sacrifice a close relationship because you love the Lord. Sometimes this stuff hits way closer to home than we want to think. Way closer to home. But hear me, church, don't, don't hear me give this as a list that leads to a means to an end. No, like we must continuously live in these ways and more. Being obedient and sacrificing to the Lord in everything that we do. I had to come to know this in my own life. Maybe some of you weren't here when this happened. There might be some who were here when it did. But for a hot minute, I couldn't use my voice for about eight to nine months. I had a vocal cord hemorrhage. And singing was my thing. And I loved singing praises to the Lord. But during this time period, I could not. Sometimes I couldn't even speak a prayer to the Lord, let alone sing a note to him, lift up a praise to him. And I'm so thankful that worship isn't just music because if it was, I would have been doomed. I couldn't speak. But what I could do was love others and love God. What I could do was forgive when I'm called to forgive. What I could do was be generous like I'm called to be generous. Like we are called to do all of these things. I was still worshiping the Lord. It just had to look different for a season. If you're serving communion this morning, you can come on down and begin preparing that. I've got one more question as we come to the end of this, this portion of our gathering. But if we say worship is obedience and, and sacrifice, wonderful, awesome. Then what are you worshiping? What are you being obedient and sacrificing to? If anything is coming to your mind right now that is not Jesus Christ, it's time to lay that down today, church. Jesus is the perfect example of worship. He was sent by the Father to live a perfect life, to shepherd, to love. He flipped the script on everything that everybody thought was normal. He became the new covenant. He was called to do all of that. And in all of these things, he was obedient and he sacrificed everything to do it, including sacrificing his own life. He died the death that we deserved to die. But the story doesn't end there. He was raised after three days in the tomb. He was raised up to life, granting us new life in him, calling us to continue to follow him even into death. Worship is uncomfortable. Just like in the beginning, calisthenics wasn't something we expected to do on our Sunday morning. Maybe it was uncomfortable. But so is a life rooted in worship of Jesus. It won't be comfortable. But Jesus is the only person who's worthy of worshiping. He's the only one. We've got to lay down everything at his feet. We gotta sacrifice it all to him. Our time, our talents, our treasures, our bodies. So in this time we're gonna take communion and it's communion is reserved for those who have worshiped the Lord and been obedient in passing from death to life like we're called to do. Those who have declared Jesus the Lord of their life over everything. And we're gonna sing a new song during this time today that communicates who Jesus is and 
what he's done, but also declaring the call on our lives to lay everything down before him, to declare that our lives are for him. Maybe you've never made that declaration before and you're in this place this morning. We're going to have people down front from our staff, some of our elders, who would love to pray with you through this process. And look, it's not going to be weird. If that's you, it's not going to be weird. Here's what you could do. You can get up when everybody's getting up to go take communion. Just hop in the line. When you get down front, just come and pray with us. You're not going to be the only one. We would love to meet you where you are and pray with you this morning. So let's stand together, Hill City, as we continue to praise the Lord through prayer and through reflection and through communion. Let's come to the table.